We're going to start off today with prayer. Let's pray as we get started. Our Father, we thank you for your word. Your word is life to us. Um, You feed us, you give us what we need for uh, life and for godliness, that we would grow to know you, that we would grow to love you, that we would love one another, and that we would be able to understand our lives because we have no understanding of ourselves until we find it in you. So we pray, Lord, that you would please today reveal to us uh, who we are in Christ and uh, what your purposes are for us. We pray in Christ's name, amen. All right, well, so you remember we're going through First uh, Peter. Uh, today, uh, we're going to be uh, skipping over something. There was, it turns out this, uh, this Chen guy went and just jumped ahead and uh, pretty much did what I was going to cover this week. So uh, what we're going to do in looking at 1 Peter, we've made it through 1 Peter 4.11 last week where we discussed um, the fact that um, there's, a, there's something about who we are and what happens to us just based on the fact that Christ suffered. You know, the fact that Christ suffered, of course, he suffered for our sin, for our salvation, but it has very direct implications for every point of daily life. Right? If, if he suffered and we are in Christ, if we're called Christians, if we're in Christ, then we should arm ourselves with that same purpose, that we should be um, ready to suffer because he who has suffered has ceased from sin. And this is the work of sanctification. God is sanctifying us through the work of the Holy Spirit, applying what Jesus Christ did for us. Remember, just in the same way that he in his objective work that he did in dying on the cross, he took our sins and he justified us before God. He made us right with God. But it did more than that. In his death, he also put to death sin. Sin was destroyed at that time and now the Holy Spirit is applying that same work to us. And in that work, uh, it's different than justification because justification, we know we're justified by faith. In our sanctification, although it is the work of Jesus Christ, the work of the Holy Spirit in us, we cooperate with that work and we mortify the flesh. We put to death the things that remain in the flesh. And part of that involves how we interact with other people. We talked about how despite the fact that they malign us and that when we do what is good, that actually heaps more suffering on us because they'll always hate what Christ has done and who Christ is. At the same time, we know that there's a judgment, and that judgment is uh, for the living and the dead. And so that means for us now what we are to do is to fervently love one another. Now, how how will that play out? Let's take a look at our passage today. Um, Again, we're going to go kind of, this is a long passage, but we're really going to focus on the end of it because Jason did talk through the end of 1 Peter 4. But I'm going to read through uh, our lesson for today. So starting in verse 12, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exultation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or thief or evildoer or a troublesome meddler, but if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this name. 
for it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is with difficulty that the righteous is saved, what will become of the godless man and the sinner? Therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. Therefore, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. This is the word of the Lord. Yeah, so this passage, of course, is about suffering. If you're going to talk about 1 Peter, it, the, the focus is, the, the theme is suffering. But really, that's only half the story. If that's all you get out of this book, then you've really missed the point. Because suffering is mentioned a lot. If you take all the times that the word suffer, suffering, suffers, any variation of that, you'll see that appears in 1 Peter 15 times. That's a lot. But there's another word that appears 13 times. In fact, in the passage we just read today, suffering or suffers, that appears five times just in that short passage. But this other word appears five times as well. And what is that word? What is it besides if you, if you, you, you probably glossed over it because that's our natural tendency and we'll talk about why that is. But what is that other word? What is First Peter actually about? Glory. It's actually about suffering and glory. Those two go together continuously. And we see that in this passage as well. Suffering and glory go together. Glory is something that we might not talk about as much as we should. If you think about the, the redemption of our souls, for instance, what is the purpose? What is the purpose that God has in redeeming us? We know something, we've talked so far about his process of redeeming us, but we haven't really got to the point because God did justify us. He justified us, he made us right with him, with himself. And he's in the process of sanctifying us, setting us apart. But that's not the point. If you live your life as if sanctification were the point, then you've missed it. Because what is the point? The hope of glory. Glorification. Glorification. There are three parts, if we want to talk about sort of a a brief overview of the three parts of our redemption, justification, sanctification, glorification. For those who are believers, justification occurred in the past. We have been made right with him. Sanctification is what is the process right now. And glorification is our hope, right? We don't hope for what we already have. So we don't have glorification yet. But that doesn't mean that it's not just equally part of of, uh, redemption. And in fact, it is the point. Glorification is where we're going. So my argument, you know, we'll, we'll often uh, say, make sure that you don't live your Christian life as if justification were the point, right? Because those who claim that you can be justified without being sanctified, that's unbiblical. 
right? You cannot possibly be justified without being sanctified. Every single person who is justified is also being sanctified. And if you don't, if you break those apart from each other, you'll end up in all sorts of terrible straits, right? What, what you'll end up doing are, you, you know people uh, probably, um, sure, you know, you're witnessing to someone, I said the sinner's prayer, I'm good, right? I, I was justified. Uh, they wouldn't use the word justified probably, but just say, yeah, I'm, I'm saved. And if you look at their lives, there's nothing to show for that. There's no actual fruit of that. So we can understand how taking sanctification and justification apart from each other, ripping those apart is going to be destructive and in fact damning in many cases to the Christian life. But what about sanctification and glorification? Can you take those apart? You cannot take sanctification and glorification apart. It is a a biblical principle. It's an ongoing principle. We see that passage after passage, passage after passage, where, for instance, Jesus Christ himself didn't have sanctification as the point. The point wasn't him dying on the cross. What What was the point? What did he look to? Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. That's why. It tells us why he endured the cross. For the joy set before him. He knew the glory to come and he endured sanctification. He endured the suffering. He endured the pain for a purpose. And you'll see also in this passage, what is the reason? This is not just a doctrinal statement so that we know a fact. Why is he telling us this? Why is the author of Hebrews telling us this? Well, it's for a purpose. If we understand that that's what Jesus did, we also have to lay aside sin that easily entangles us and run with endurance. We have to also, if we're being opposed, we have to consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that we do not grow weary and lose heart. You're not going to be sanctified if you don't have your mind set on glorification. And it's not just one passage, it's passage after passage. In Romans 8, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirits that we are children of God, and if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. The suffering and the glory side by side, and in fact, the motivation, because it is the point. And in Titus 2, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, period. In the, right? Because that's the point. The point is that we live godly, righteously, sensibly in the present age. That's what God's after, right? No, that is not what he's after looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. Jesus Christ has a much bigger purpose than you living a moral life right now. And that purpose is glorification. Now, Why is it that we don't consider our glorification more often? 
Well, there's actually a, a range, uh, and this is where we get back to our, uh, the, the whole point of this book, which is those who suffer according to the will of God will entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. Suffering produces the thoughts of glorification, right? The more you suffer, this is a blessing. The more you suffer, the more you put your mind on glory. Because what is the, what is the reason, the fundamental reason that we do not consider our glorification more is because of a very deadly sin that we don't talk much about which is worldliness. Worldliness is opposed to glory. Worldliness is opposed to glorification. All those who live a worldly life will not think about glorification. Now, you, that happens, of course you can see that. Let's, let's think about the people outside the walls here because that's, that's a lot safer. Um, if you think about them, okay, of course, they don't have any hope for glory. They, don't, they aren't thinking about the future, about heaven. So they wanna grab everything they can for today. So they're really focused on today. Right? That makes sense. So what's your excuse? Seriously, what's your excuse? We can be just as worldly with an external veneer of godliness. And what that entails is thinking about today, just thinking about what we're doing today about, well, so I have this ministry that I have to get to and I have this other thing that I have to do and I need to make sure to take care of this part of my life and and I need to get my quiet time in, and all those things, and I'm not saying those things are bad, right? That's our sanctification, that's a good thing. But that is ultimately worldliness if it's totally detached from the point. The point is glorification. It's so easy for us to not be, to think of ourselves as spiritual, but it isn't spiritual to think only of now, even if you're thinking about sanctification. Even if you're thinking about how God's working in my life right now, that's still not the point. That's still a form of worldliness. It's spiritual. It's actually spiritual to think about what God is doing and his purpose and the eternal things that he's doing, how much bigger it is. We, what are some other reasons that we don't think about uh, glorification? Well, it's because we like to avoid suffering in the same way that suffering produces in us a much stronger knowledge of the glory and a much greater longing for the glory, every single time you avoid suffering, what you do is rob yourself of any idea of glory because the whole purpose of avoiding suffering is what? To be pleased in this world, to be right now in a place where we can enjoy what we have right now. It's all about now. So every time you uh, oppose him, and that's where we get into everything that we talked about last week. Drunkenness, uh, drinking parties, everything that's involved in pleasing myself now is really an avoidance of the judgment to come and it's avoidance of suffering. So we we have a war that's going on. These lusts war against our soul. And what is the weapon of their war? The weapon of their war is that they cut out the thoughts of the future. They place our mind here in worldliness because one of the greatest weapons we have is the knowledge of glory. But another reason that we don't think much about glory is it's kind of hard to understand. Anyone here ever seen glory? Not really. Right? We, are, we don't live in the glorious. We live right here in the down in the dirt kind of sanctification land. 
So it's a lot easier to just think about this. But the Bible actually has a lot to say about glory. And if we don't understand what the Bible says about glory, of course we're not gonna think about it. So what is glory? Well, if you wanna read a great book about redemption, what you need to do is read John Murray's book, um, Redemption Accomplished and Applied, where he works all the way through. Very short chapter, but powerful chapter on glorification. It's very easy for us in an individualistic society and kind of one that's, um, we, we uh, have a lot of uh, lusts of the flesh all around us. If you're gonna be spiritual, what you're gonna do is you wanna think about the purpose of God as, well, what he's doing is he's sanctifying us so that when we die, that our spirits will be made sinless and we'll be with God. That sounds pretty good, right? Not glorification. That is not glorification. That's not God's purpose. God's purpose isn't that your body falls in the ground and you spiritually go and live with him in heaven. What is God's purpose? God's purpose is the death of death. His purpose is an end to the way that things are in this world and a complete transformation. What does Jesus Christ say? Behold, I make all things new. He doesn't just put an end to the evil. He makes all things new. And in making all things new, what he must do is put all enemies under his feet. Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. For this perishable must put on the imperishable and this mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable and the mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? God's purpose is much bigger than saving your spirit. He's saving you. And who are you? As far as I can tell, all of you have bodies. And that's his purpose. His purpose is to make all things new. He is saving our, in the process, what will happen is that those who die before his coming will spiritually go to be with him and will be perfect with him in heaven. And that is a blessed state, no doubt. Uh, the, the apostle Paul says it's far better. I'd much rather be in that state than here. So that's a better state, but that is not the final state. The final state is the resurrection. And those who deny the resurrection of Christ can have this idea that God kind of wants to make us spiritually better or there's a spiritual thing that's gonna happen, but that's not the truth. The truth is that he is, make, he is conforming us to the glory of Christ himself. And Christ lives now in glory, in his glorious body, as the first fruits of what God has done and what he's doing in us. But it's even bigger than that. His purpose is not to have all of his people glorified in a new body. That's not the ultimate purpose. What is his purpose? It's comprehensive. It is all creation. All things will be made new. 
For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed in us. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. Why does it wait? Why does all creation around us wait for our glorification? Because he makes all things new. He's going to glorify in all things. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. That all of creation will also be set free into our glory and that we, being in our glorified state, will now be with Christ forever in a new heavens and a new earth so that God's purpose has finally been accomplished so that I, I kind of want to say so that it's back like Eden, but that's not true. It's much better, much better than Eden. Because in the new creation, now God will dwell with us, but as those who have been perfected, and no longer will there be any temptation, and not only will Jesus Christ be our Lord, but our Savior so that in all things he has been magnified. And that, that is, in a sense, the, now we're getting even bigger. What is the ultimate purpose of our glorification? The glory of God himself. It's the glory of Jesus Christ. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the suffering of Christ, keep on rejoicing so that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exultation. That is God's purpose, that he reveals the glory of his son, that Christ himself is glorified. And that what that means is that we also are glorified. Um, what does it mean to be glorified anyway? Do you want glory? That doesn't sound like a very spiritual thing. Because what's glory? Glory is about everyone thinking that I'm being famous, having honor, right? I mean, that doesn't sound like a very spiritual thing. It doesn't sound very spiritual that he wants us to be beautiful in all ways and to be shiny. <laughs> it's that everything, but that is glory and that is actually his purpose. His purpose is that we shine and that we shine beautifully and that we are famous. Now that doesn't, again, that doesn't sound very uh, spiritual, but let's think about what, what that is. That's, it's actually that we have been taken from a state of humiliation like Christ and been raised with Christ so that we share in his glory. Because this is the truth. Our citizenship is in heaven from which also we eagerly wait for a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory being by the, exer by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. Do you want to be famous? You should want to be famous. Now the problem is what, what we look at here. What does it mean to be famous here? It means people know you, right? People think something about you. If you're famous in a good way, you're, people think highly of you. But that, that's not the point. What is the point of our fame in heaven? that we are known by God, that we are known by God. 
And that is the fame that will crown his son, Jesus Christ. This isn't false humility. Remember, he, he is placing crowns of glory upon us. Why, why is that? Why would he put crowns of glory upon us? Why would he give us fame? Why would he say to us, well done, faithful servant? Why would he do that? Because that is to his glory. Because now look at what he has wrought. Look at what Jesus Christ has done. If you just look around at us, wow, Jesus Christ has done something great, right? Not yet. I mean, he has, right? Of course he has. But it's not complete yet. We're not who we were made to be. Jesus Christ will win glory and honor for himself through, the magn- through bringing uh, us glory and fame that is only derived from him. We'll never have glory of our own, but the glory that is shown in us because of the work of Jesus Christ will be to his glory. Now, what's the opposite of that? You certainly want to be famous because what is the opposite of that? If he approached, what if if God doesn't know you? When you approach him, depart from me. I never knew you. That's the scariest, if you're thinking of glory, if your mind is set on glorification, that's about the scariest thing that you could possibly hear. I don't know, I don't know who you are. I have no knowledge of you. But he has in mind something great for those who follow him, and that is that God himself may be all in all. That is the doctrine of glorification. But each of us in his own order, Christ the first fruits. Christ himself is glorified. Christ the first fruits. After, those who, uh, after that, those who are Christ's at his coming, then comes the end when, the hand, when he hands over the kingdom to the God and Father, when he has abolished all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself also will be subjected to the one who subjected all things to him, so that God may be all in all. And that's the hope that we have. The glorification, act of glorification is a universal and glorious thing. You'll, you'll know, notice, for instance, that in redemption, there's something special about glorification. In redemption, we were all justified at different points in our lives, right? Uh, some of us are older, some are younger. Um, we're all being sanctified to different degrees, and different places, but there's one thing that is exactly equal. He makes sure that this is exactly equal. And that is that we will all be glorified together. Many different times it points out, for instance, in 1 Corinthians 15, that those who have died will not precede those who are alive. We will instead be changed so that we will be glorified together with Christ. And that actually the final act, the consummation is beyond imagination because it is universal. It is not universal in the sense of every single person, but it is comprehensive across the entire world that every one of his people will be glorified together in an instant, changed forever, made into the final redemption, state of redemption. And that is what we have in Christ. Now, of course, the question about that is, Do you believe in glorification? Do 
Do you believe in glorification? If so, do your actions show it? Because glorification, if you believe in glorification, even though that is a future event, there's a little bit of that effect right now. There's a little bit we should be thinking about right at this point. Because if we have a hope of glory, that affects us right now. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. You have a spirit of glory right now. The spirit of glory rests on you. And in fact, what that means for us to suffer, suffering is glorification. Just like it's our suffering is for our sanctification, it is also for our glorification. Make sure that none of you suffer as a murderer or thief or evildoer or troublesome meddler. Don't suffer for doing what is wrong, but suffer for doing what is right. If anyone suffers as a Christian, being named after who? Jesus Christ. If we have his name, then we should not be ashamed. That's the opposite of glory. We shouldn't be ashamed, but instead, but this suffering is to glorify God. We're to su- glorify God in his name. Having borne his name, even now the suffering that we have brings him glory. And at the consummation, that will happen. Now, what does it look like? Are you, are you glorified? Are, do, you, do you live in such a way right now that you actually are being, that you're living in as if you're going to be glorified? Like, where, where's your money going to? You know? If you think about uh, the way that you spend your money, if you think about the way you spend your time, does glory have any impact on that? What happens uh, with the way that you speak to your children? Does that have anything to do with glory? The way you discipline your children, the way you talk to your friends, the way that you uh, set your time apart to talk to strangers? Do you believe in glorification? If you believe in glorification, then your life will be different, right? So that's, that's the first question that this passage begs. The second question, though, is do you believe that we will reach glory, but it is with difficulty that the righteous are saved? I mean, do you actually believe that it is with difficulty that the righteous are saved? If uh, this is a doctrine that is broadly denied, because the whole purpose of salvation, right? Once you, once you get saved, then everything should be smooth sailing from then on out, right? That's not true. In fact, this is, this is the promise. This is taken from Proverbs 11.31. So Proverbs 11.31 says, if God recompenses the righteous, how is he gonna recompense the unrighteous? And this is the, the point right now. If right now we are in the process of sanctification, moving toward glory, we're obviously nowhere near glory right now. And that, that narrow, that's a very narrow gate. And it is a very hard path. It is with difficulty that the righteous are saved. Not with difficulty for God. He doesn't have any difficulty at all, right? With men, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. But for us, in our experience, we will experience difficulty. And, and this is an encouragement and a warning, right? It's an encouragement to everyone who is experiencing difficulty, trying to, with an eye to glory, experiencing the difficulty. Because we know that this is God's will. It is God's will that, 
if we suffer according to his will, we can entrust our souls to him. But for those who think that you can make it through without any kind of difficulty and spend a life avoiding any kind of difficulty, then you're not on the right track. You're not pointed toward glory because it is with difficulty that the righteous are saved. So what does that, what does that mean for us? What that means for us is that our life is a life of responsibility and glory. Glory, the dignity that we have, this, the idea of glory is the idea of weight. In the same, dignity has a weightiness behind it and glory has a weightiness behind it. Judgment begins with the household of God. If there is difficulty then in, in going to glory, then God is judging, separating out and he's given us um, help along the way. That's where the, this therefore comes from. Unfortunately, there's a, there's a chapter break right here, but there's not a thought break. Because in light of the fact that it is with difficulty that the righteous are saved, what does he do? Therefore, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the suffering of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God among you exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. God's given us elders, and there's no one in the church who is not under the rule of elders. Um, I'm an elder, I'm under the rule of elders. That's the point, is that I am governed in the same way that every person is governed by the body of elders. Because God uses them as shepherds, it is with difficulty, and therefore we need shepherds to guide us through. So the first point, of course, is to be humble in uh, the church, to be humble, to know if you really believe that it is with difficulty that you're saved, you will be humble. That's a, a, good, a good way to look uh, at yourself and think about your level of humility before other people. Uh, when other people, uh, when an elder comes to you and talks to you about something, uh, if your response is one of rejection, then you probably really don't believe that it is with difficulty that the righteous is saved. Now the other thing, of course, these, these, this is specifically talking to elders, those who are set apart to a specific duty and a specific task. But uh, all of the qualities of elders and all the duties of elders, uh, although that is a special office, are also applicable to every Christian. There is no Christian who does not live with responsibility toward other Christians. We are responsible toward others. So even if you're not called to this office, you are called because, why? Because it is with difficulty that the righteous are saved. And so therefore, we're all to watch over one another in very, in very particular ways and for a particular purpose. The reason or the way that we are to do it is as we shepherd, we're to exercise oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily. Are you kind of begrudging with how you have to discipline your kids? Yeah, I'm kind of under compulsion that I have to deal with these kids again. I have to it's not, we're not under compulsion. We love 
and out of love, what we do is to exercise oversight. What happens when you have that roommate that you're uh, unwilling to, to talk to? Why? Because, oh boy, I have to do this again. I feel compelled to do it. But it's not under compulsion. It is out of love that we care for one another, that we exercise oversight voluntarily. And we do it voluntarily because we know that Jesus Christ has a, has a goal, and that goal is glorification, and it is difficult. It is with difficulty, and so we love one another. Next, we don't do it for sordid gain, but with eagerness. So we don't expect rewards. You know, I, I, I kind of expect to be rewarded for doing good stuff. If I'm going to help you out, I kind of want to get paid for it, right? That's a very natural tendency, right? That's because we truly... In that aspect, that's the reason we don't have to actually love each other to do that. Because we can trade favors with a uh, monetary exchange. I'll do something for you, you do something for me. I don't really have to love anyone doing that. But we are to fervently love one another. And when you shepherd out of no compulsion and you shepherd having no gain from it, then you're denying the world. You're denying the things here. Because this is the way we ourselves embrace suffering right now. Because all these things, if we want to um, do this, if we feel like we're under compulsion, if we're doing it for sordid gain, if we're doing it lording it over others so that we have our own, we're building up our own little kingdom or we have our own pride, all of those things are about worldliness. They're all about now. They have nothing in mind of the glory. They're all about now. But having in mind glory, we don't lord it over, but instead we prove to be examples to the flock, that we live before each other as good examples. Um, while it's true that you, you should speak the truth, it is also true that you should live the truth. You know, we need to live the truth before each other. And in all these ways, in all that we're doing, we have a goal, we have a hope. What is our hope? that when the chief shepherd comes, that we will receive a crown of glory. That's not mercenary, right? When we try to extract things from each other, when we try to sort, sorted gain, I try to gain from you. But Jesus Christ has promised a crown of glory. And that crown of glory is to the fame of his own great work. But we'll only be uh, driven toward that if we actually believe and we look forward and we desire a crown of glory. Do you desire a crown of glory? It's hard to imagine right now what that's going to be like. Um, and we, in fact, we can't imagine it. And there's a great uh, poem um, by Robert Murray McShane, How Much I Owe. When this passing world is done, when has sunk yon glaring sun, when we stand with Christ in glory, looking o'er life's finished story, then, Lord, shall I fully know, not till then, how much I owe. When I hear the wicked call on the rocks and hills to fall, when I see them start and shrink on the fiery deluge brink, then, Lord, shall I fully know, not till then, how much I owe. When I stand before the throne dressed in beauty, not my own, when I see thee as thou art, love thee with unsinning heart, then, Lord, shall I fully know, not till then, how much I owe. When the praise of heaven I hear, loud as thunder to the ear, loud as many waters noise, sweet as harp's melodious voice, then, Lord, shall I fully know, not till then, how much I owe. Chosen not for good in me, 
wakened up from wrath to flee, hidden in the Savior's side by the Spirit sanctified. Teach me, Lord, on earth to show by my love how much I owe. And that's what we need. We need to be taught by his Spirit now so that we look to glory. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that in your glorious um, Son, you uh, seek uh, glory for him that all things would be yours. And so, Father, we bow before you as King of heaven. We submit to the life that you've given to us right now gladly. Help us to love one another as we suffer, um, looking for that unfading crown of glory that you would be glorified. We pray in Christ's name, amen.